Welcome to the Valley of the Suns podcast, part of the Fansided Podcast Network. Here's your host, Gerald Borgay. Welcome, Valley boys and girls, to another episode of the Valley of the Suns podcast, part of the Fansided Podcast Network. I'm your host, Gerald Borgay. And we are coming to you a couple hours after the Phoenix Suns' first playoff game in over a decade. They took on the Los Angeles Lakers, and I got to tell you, that was one of the coolest experiences I've ever had in my young sports journalism career. Um, Obviously, I was covering my first playoff game. I've been on the beat for six years now, and uh, so that was a first for me and was very cool. it was packed in there. I think there were almost 12,000 people in there. It was like 11.8 thousand, the sun said. And man, I don't know if it was just the 11 years since the last time I saw a playoff game in that building or, you know, the pandemic blues on top of that, not being in a place with that many people for so long at any sort of sporting event. But I think all of that converged into one of the coolest games that I've ever seen um and it was a good game too which made it even better as a competitive game um obviously against the defending champs and the suns got the win so that was a really cool experience um i'm sure a lot of you were there and if you weren't there you could probably fill it through the tv because it was it was that cool to witness but uh we're kind of freestyling this episode uh we had a guest lined up i had to cancel last minute so hopefully we'll be able to reschedule for this week and, um, you know, we've got lots of good playoff coverage coming your way since the Suns are a very good playoff team, as they proved in game one uh, with their 99 to 90 win over the Lakers. Um, we're not going to do a G rated segment on this episode because it's just me. I got to be honest, I am pretty wiped from how long today was and from writing a couple articles that I hope you will enjoy. If you haven't already checked those out, please make sure to do so. Um, But yeah, it it was just a very cool day, you know, seeing Suns fans and just hearing like the boos for when the Lakers ran onto the court or, you know, the beat LA chants that were spontaneously breaking out throughout the arena. Um, The energy in there was just electric. And it was, it's been a long time since that building has felt like that. Even when, you know, it was at full capacity over the last 10 years or so. There was just a different energy to it today. So that was a very cool experience to be able to cover that. Um, and I'm sure Suns fans are very happy with the win as well. Um, but obviously, it's only one game. So we're going to run through this one game, take a look at the positives that the Suns can take heading into game two on Tuesday, um, looking at a couple of adjustments that the Lakers might make and looking at a few areas for improvement for the Suns because obviously it was not a perfect game um, and there are some things that they could do even better moving forward in this series. So let's start with the positives and we can't go any further without talking about Devin Booker because I think I mentioned this a few weeks back. I did a whole segment on how people panicking about Devin Booker need to relax because he's going to be fine. And obviously this was just one game, but people were worried that Devin Booker might, you know, not be ready for the bright lights of the playoffs, or he might be too excited for the playoffs or a whole other mess of things, but he looked pretty good in his debut. 
Um, he had 34 points, eight assists, seven rebounds, shot 13 of 26 from the field, made three of his seven threes, was a plus nine. Uh, and he played a game high 45 minutes, which is incredible. He played all but three minutes of game one. Um, and he was physical and locked in the entire time defensively. So his conditioning was just insanely good. I remember a few years back, there was concern about Booker needing to be in even better shape because the Suns needed to play him so much. Uh, it's remarkable how far we've come that he's playing 45 minutes in his first ever playoff game, a game where the intensity um, and the physicality rises and he played all those minutes and still performed at this incredible kind of level. You know, he had that one tip rebound that he tipped it to Mikhail Bridges over, I think it was Contavious Caldwell Pope, uh, and then talked shit to him while KCP was on the ground. Um, he was jostling with Andre Drummond under the rim. You know, he, the fact that he had the most points in Suns franchise history in a playoff game for their playoff debut. Um, even in the beginning of the game, he had that one-handed pass where he caught it and was like falling backwards and threw it out to Mikhail Bridges in the corner for three. Um, just everything about Devin Booker today was incredible. You know, he had six turnovers, I think, which that will need to come down. Um, but he was just phenomenal. He was the best player on the court in a game that included LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and Chris Paul, known and proven playoff competitors. Uh, and he was the best one out there. And that was coming against the Lakers' number one defense, a defense that was hard trapping him pretty much all game long and basically trying to force the ball out of his hand. Uh, not only did he still score at will 34 points, but he also moved the ball really well with those eight assists. So it's a really impressive, really encouraging debut outing for Devin Booker. And, you know, there's, there's been a lot that's been made of the lack of playoff experience for this team. I've done it myself as well. Um, because you just never know how young players are going to respond to the bright lights of the postseason, even with a reduced crowd. But uh, the good news is Devin Booker was not alone in terms of playoff virgins who came out and just played incredible basketball in their first game. Uh, DeAndre Ayton was a monster for the Suns. He had 25 points, 16 rebounds, shot 10 of 11 from the field, was a game-high plus 16 uh, and he had eight offensive rebounds, which is more rebounds than Anthony Davis had total. Uh, he was just cleaning up around the basket. He was aggressive. Uh, he became the second player in NBA playoff history to shoot 90% or better in a 20.15 rebound game against the Lakers. Uh, the only other player in NBA history that's done that was Bill Russell back in the 1965 NBA Finals. So really impressive outing for D.A., against this Lakers team. Um, he was the first player in franchise history with a 20 and 15 game on 90% shooting. And he held Anthony Davis to just seven points on three of 11 shooting when he was his primary defender. So just a really incredible two-way performance from DA. He did a great job around the basket, was super efficient, got the Suns a lot of extra possessions, second chance points. Um, and that was exactly what the Suns needed from him. We've been saying it all season long that when D.A. has an assignment, when he's locked in, he is a tough player to beat. He's very good, and he raises the Suns' playoff ceiling considerably when he plays like that. So, you know, playing in his first ever playoff game against the defending champs, it was really impressive to see him come out like that 
and just be locked in and animated and, you know, emotive like that. Um, really impressive stuff. Obviously, Devin Booker was the main story. He was a star of the show, but DeAndre Ayton was really good and he maximized his role, which we've talked about on this podcast multiple times in the past. Um, there's also the fact that the Suns weren't perfect in this game and, and still <clears throat> won pretty convincingly. You know, they, they only shot nine for 28 from three, which is like 32%. Not great and way below their season average. Obviously, the Lakers' defense has a little bit to do with that. Um, but they didn't shoot the three ball well. And that's something that hopefully as the series goes on, more of those shots will fall. Um, and they didn't get a lot out of two key contributors during the regular season. Campaign only had five points. He shot two for eight. And he got ejected, obviously, early in that fourth quarter um, with the two technical fouls. And then there's Mikhail Bridges, who only had 10 points on four of 12 shooting. Obviously, he was big defensively, as he always is, but didn't shoot the ball particularly well. He missed like one putback that was a layup. He missed a couple of shots that he would normally make that were pretty wide open. Um, so moving forward, Bridges, if he can, you know, increase that by a little, you know, six or seven made shots out of 12 instead of four. Um, that could make all the difference and, and turn some of these games into less competitive affairs than this game one, one was, which was a total roller coaster, even though the Suns were in front for most of the way. Um, those two guys didn't play particularly well on the offensive end, but if they play better in game two and beyond, that could widen the gap between what we saw in game one. Um, Another positive is that the Lakers were trapping Devin Booker hard in his first playoff game, which is a sign of respect for how good Devin Booker is because this guy has never played in a postseason game and he's getting hit with, you know, traps constantly by the NBA's number one defense. And he's still dominating, not just in the scoring column with 34 points, but also moving the ball with eight assists. He did have those six turnovers, as we mentioned, but, um, you know, the Lakers threw a lot of traps at him and it didn't matter, which bodes well, because if they're not trapping Devin Booker and he's, you know, if he's scoring 34 points with all of those traps and throwing out eight assists, what is he going to do if they stop sending traps or if they send a different defensive package at him? Obviously, they're going to try some different things because that hard trap wasn't working. The Suns are just too good at moving the ball. Um, they're very smart and they have the role players that can beat this Lakers team if they continue to send traps at Devin Booker. Um, but it was good to see him be able to beat those double teams. You remember back when people used to make fun of Devin Booker because he complained about double teams and pickup gym in, in, in pickup games that that was a funny time. It's, it's interesting that we are now here talking about Devin Booker beating traps from the defending champions and their number one defense in a playoff game. Uh, when we used to be talking about how Devin Booker needs to be practicing with chairs or he shouldn't be practicing with chairs in an empty gym or whatever it was that Bill Simmons said that one time, <laughs> never forget that Suns fans. I know you keep the receipts, so it's very interesting how we've come full circle on that. But um like I said, the Lakers are going to try some things differently in game two. They're going to show him different looks. Um, but it's not great news for them that these hard traps didn't work in game one, that they didn't bother him and that he wasn't flustered um, because the Suns do have the role players to make them pay for that, 
even though Mikhail Bridges and campaign didn't really shoot the ball well today. And none of the Suns really shot the ball well today from three, um, you know, that, that bodes well that they were still able to win that game despite all of that. And that Booker played so well um, on the rebounding front. Monty had said that this was a key going into the game. Um, they refer to it as gang rebounds, basically, you know, DA obviously had 16 boards by himself, but the Suns won the rebounding battle 47 to 33. And that's against a very big Lakers front court of LeBron James, Anthony Davis and Andre Drummond. Um, so it's really impressive that they won by 14 rebounds and that they won 16 to 10 on the offensive glass. They were able to, for the most part, keep Drummond and all these bigger guys off the boards which is huge because, you know, that's a huge Lakers front line and it's one of their advantages. Uh, but the Suns were able to completely erase that. And as a result, their small ball won out on the other end as well. Uh, the Suns also won 16 to nine in fast break points. They had, I think they had 14 of them by halftime. They had a lot of transition points in the first half. And then uh, they won the points in the paint battle 52 to 44, which is a really good sign because again, the Lakers have guys that should be able to beat the Suns up on the interior, but they just couldn't do it. Um, they held Anthony Davis to his lowest playoff scoring output ever in his career. Uh, he, sh he only scored 13 points and had seven rebounds on five of 16 shooting, which is pretty terrible. Um, they also held LeBron James to 18 points, 10 assists and seven rebounds on six of 13 shooting. Um, so not a horrible game from LeBron, but it was only, I think, shout out to Kellen Olsen on this for going back through LeBron's uh, game catalogs here. But it was only his sixth playoff game in his last 67 where he failed to score 20 points. So pretty impressive effort from the Suns defense to limit the Lakers to superstars in that way to a combined 31 points. Devin Booker scored more than LeBron James and Anthony Davis combined which is uh, if they keep that up, they're going to win in four. That's obviously not going to happen moving forward, but a really good uh, result for the Suns in that regard in game one. And another thing, I'm not sure many people notice this, but obviously the pace was very frenetic, but the Lakers only took 76 shot attempts on the entire game. The Suns had 10 more. They had 86 field goal attempts for the game. But the Lakers only took 76, which shows that the Suns really dictated the tempo and the style of play in this game, which is a good thing for them. Um, they don't want to play at the Lakers' pace. They want to play at their own. They want to dictate the tempo, and they did that in game one. They really kept them off the offensive glass, limited their shot attempts in that way by not giving them second-chance opportunities, um, really milked the clock on the other end, and they held them to only 76 shot attempts. That's pretty good. That's a good sign moving forward. Um, and then the biggest thing is just kind of an obvious one, but they were not afraid of the moment. You know, we, we've talked about the lack of playoff experience and how a lot of these guys had never been there before. Even guys like Dario Saric and Campaign, who had played in playoff games, but it was only a handful and it was in reduced roles. Um, this team was not afraid of the moment. You know, they responded to adversity too in this game where they have all the pressure of this organization hasn't been to the playoffs in 11 years and they're playing the Lakers, the team that knocked them out of the playoffs the last time they were here and they're playing the defending champs and they're not favored in this series. 
and you know all of that nervous energy that's going to come with a building full of fans that hasn't seen a playoff game in over a decade they responded to all of that they blocked it all out and they just played the way that they have all season which was poised and that's the one word that monty williams used all week to describe what he was trying to uh, impress upon his team was that he wanted them to stay poised and to understand the moment and to enjoy the moment uh, and they definitely looked like they were you know, they had to respond to adversity a couple of times just in this game one alone because it was a roller coaster of emotions, really. Um, the Suns had built up like a 38-29 lead in that second quarter, and then Chris Paul goes down with the shoulder contusion, and it looks scary. I initially, from where I was sitting, I initially thought that he had gotten hit in the face by LeBron, um, actually looking at the replay and being able to see it on Twitter because they weren't playing it in the arena. Um, you know, you could see that I think he ran into his own guy. I think he ran into Cam Johnson and that's where he got the shoulder injury there. Um, but he was down on the ground. And, you know, when the whole Suns bench cleared out to go circle around him, like literally everyone on the Suns bench was up and around Chris Paul, you know, LeBron James and a couple of Lakers were there too. It was a concerning scene, you know, all of the energy that was in this incredible playoff environment was just zapped out of the building when he went down and stayed down um, and you could tell he was in pain right away with the way he like kicked his leg up in the air and how quick everyone was around him and just how silent it was in the arena waiting to see what was going to happen. And then, you know, he gets a hug from LeBron James as he walks off the court. Uh, he's got a towel over his head. He just, he's walking really slow, really dejected. You're automatically assuming the worst. You're like, shit, he just separated his shoulder. Like the sons are in trouble and the Lakers capitalize on that. You know, they they fed into that change of momentum. They had like a quick 6-0 run, and they pulled within three. Um, and then Devin Booker did what superstars are supposed to do, and he took over. He had, uh, I think, a mid-range jumper, and then he had that driving dunk that like woke the entire building up again. And then I think DeAndre Ayton had a tip in after that. And so the Suns responded with a 6-0 run of their own to push it back to nine. And then at that point, Chris Paul comes back in. He has his, you know, Willis Reed light moment there. Um, and it was cool because that really woke the building up. But it was Devin Booker that kind of staved off this Lakers run that they were making and was like, okay, I've had enough of this. Like, we have the momentum. We're not going to give it up uh, and just turn the tide. And then Chris Paul came and it turned into a, a tidal wave. So that was really cool to see. Um, and they just have the right mentality about it only being one game. You know, obviously for the people covering the team, like myself, fans of the team, like this was a really cool moment to finally see Devin Booker here, to finally see DeAndre Ayton here, to finally see just the Suns in general back and relevant as title contenders. All of that is really cool. But none of these guys in the locker room are just satisfied or feeling good about themselves after this one game. Obviously they'd rather win game one than lose it. Um, but they're not going to get complacent. And that actually brings us to our quote of the week from Monty Williams, who was talking about that very mentality. We just talked about our guys having poise after the game. You know, it's one game uh, you're, you're playing against the defending champs. It, it's, it's a situation where you're grateful for the win but you have to come in tomorrow with a heightened sense of awareness and respect for who you're playing against, have an appropriate fear for two of the greatest players who've ever played the game 
and come in with even more poise and energy and focus um, as we go forward. So as you can kind of tell, Monty's already focusing on game two. Like he was happy with his team's performance, but he knows there are areas where they can improve. And he knows that the Lakers next punch is coming. Like it's going to be a good one. The Lakers are already favored in game two. Uh, They're the defending champs. They kind of need to steal one of these games on the road here. um, Primarily in these first two to steal home court advantage. So The Lakers are going to have a punch ready for the Suns in game two. They need to be ready to take it and respond or throw a punch of their own um, because they still need to win game two to protect home court advantage. The job is not done uh, just because they had a really nice game one that was fun for everyone to enjoy. Um, They still need to win that game two and really put LA in a hole and put pressure on them to prove that they're healthy, to prove that they can beat this team, that they can respond to what the Suns are doing because in game one, the Suns were the superior team. They really were. The Lakers did not look good. Um, You know, Anthony Davis and LeBron looked as rusty as we have been saying that they might be, you know, they just didn't have that same burst. They're not playing to their full potential right now. So it's on the Suns to, you know, send another punch their way in game two and make sure that the Lakers really feel it and understand that they have to work their way back into this series and that it's an uphill climb as well. Um, but we're going to take a quick break and be right back after this. All right. So we covered the sun's positives already. Uh, and obviously there were a lot of them. So it's nice to be able to go through a list of sun's positives like that and have it be so long. It doesn't really, it hasn't really been like that for, most of my years on the job. So this is a nice change of pace, but um, we should also touch on some areas for improvement and maybe concern for the Suns heading into game two, because obviously game one was not a perfect effort. You know, just looking at the score, they didn't even get to hundred points. So there are a couple of things that the Suns can do to improve and a couple of areas for concern that they may need to address. Uh, number one, and this is the most obvious thing in the world is Chris Paul's shoulder. Um, when he came back, it was a jolt of energy for the team to know that he wasn't done for the series, to know that it's not something that is going to be looming overhead or hanging in the back of their minds for the rest of game one. Like they saw him back out there, they saw him playing, and that kind of jolt, seeing your leader come out and lay it all on the line like that, playing through injury, it, it does something to a team, even though it's risky, even though. He could have made it worse and more sore. Um, You can't say enough about the warrior that Chris Paul is for playing through that and for playing as good as he did through that. Um, But with that being said, his arm did look dead. His handle was very loose with his right hand, a lot looser than we are used to seeing because he's got one of the tightest handles in the NBA. So to see him, you know, coughing the ball up, like multiple dribbles in front of him a couple of times was disconcerting. You know that his hand was like numb or dead, um, that he could barely feel the ball. Like some of his shots, some of his mid-range shots, those fadeaways that he normally gets in the second half, some of those were like shot puts more than shots. They were just pure willpower, like willing the ball into the basket. Um, And he made a couple of them too, which was insane. But um that doesn't bode well if that's the same for Chris Paul the rest of the series because the Lakers can just dare him to shoot 
or dare him to beat them and focus all their attention on Devin Booker, which is not good. That would make Booker's life harder. It would make the Suns' life harder because, um, you know, campaign's ejection could have been costly because they really needed some minutes that weren't Chris Paul, especially with the way that Chris Paul's uh, arm was looking out there. Um, You know, CP3 said he'd be absolutely ready to go for game two. But, you know, he's always going to say something like that. So we'll see what the actually the actual injury report says uh, on Monday. But, you know, that doesn't bode well. Hopefully he's okay. Hopefully it's something that he can play through and, and it won't make it worse because obviously it's easy to think in terms of this one playoff matchup, this one playoff series. But, like, the Suns have bigger aspirations than just beating the Lakers, like, this is still just the first round of the playoffs. This is a legit team with title aspirations. So you really hope that this isn't something that is going to affect Chris Paul for the long term and obviously for the short term as well. But, uh, you know, then there's the fact that the Lakers outshot the Suns 28 to 12 from the free throw line. Uh, you know, the Lakers missed 11 free throws and lost by nine. So, they make all their free throws. It's a different game. Obviously, it's not that simple as just adding and subtracting points like that. You're going to miss free throws from time to time, and that's on the Lakers to make their free throws. But we talked about this heading into the series, the discrepancy in shots around the rim. The Suns were like 29th in shots within five feet, and I think the Lakers were sixth. We talked about free throw rate. The Suns were 29th in free throw rate, and the Suns were – or I'm sorry, the Suns were 29th in free throw rate – and the Lakers were something like top 10 in that same category. So that showed out in game one. I do think there was a stretch in the third and fourth quarter there, especially when tensions got heated, where there were a lot of calls that were going against the Suns. Um, you know, Alex Caruso is, is trying to take charges all over the damn place, getting under guys' skin. There are a lot of uh, fouls that weren't being called on the Suns and a, a lot that were being called on the Suns. Um, so that is something, you know, it comes with the territory. You're playing the defending champs. The Lakers are a huge TV draw and they've been in the playoffs before they're a playoff established team. So they're going to get the benefit of some whistles on some nights. Um, I'm not going to go as far as saying the league is rigged or anything like that, but there was a stretch there where it did feel very anti suns with the whistle and they're going to have to get used to that. And they're going to have to overcome it. Devin Booker did a good job in that third quarter before things swung back in the Lakers direction of getting to the foul line. I think he got to the foul line like six times in a two or three minute span there. Um, and that's exactly what the Suns need. I think he had like, he had six or eight of the Suns 12 free throw attempts. So um you know, the Suns are going to have to find a way to get to the line because they cannot give up 16 more free throw attempts than the Lakers on a game to game basis. That's not going to end well for them. Um, another minor thing, and this is probably just a byproduct of Chris Paul's injury. Um, and, you know, campaign's ejection didn't help in the fourth quarter, but let's not play Devin Booker 45 minutes per game in the playoffs. (laughs) Like it's really impressive that he was able to play that effectively in game one for 45 minutes. Um, But that's not something the Suns are going to want to get in the habit of doing. If you can, you need to get him like six minutes of rest, at least if you're playing him 40 to 42 minutes per game. So be it, that makes sense. He's young. 
Um, he's been waiting for this moment and he's clearly in great, great shape as we saw in game one, but you really need to rest him for more than three minutes at a time, even against a team like this, um, you know, campaigns ejection didn't help. Like we said, Chris Paul's injury didn't help. Um, but Tory Craig only played like three minutes. He's good for more than that, especially with the defense and the strength and the rebounding that he brings to the table. Um, so just something to keep in mind moving forward. Let's not aim for 45 minutes per game with Devin Booker <laughs> in game two moving forward. Um, and, and I think one thing that we should point out as an area for concern is that Lakers fans were frustrated by Anthony Davis, like settling for jump shots or whatever, but he's not going to play that poorly again, probably. Um, you know, he only shot five for 16. He was a team worst minus 18. Or I'm sorry, game worst minus 18. Um, he's probably not going to play that badly again. To be fair, he's only shooting, I think like 42% from the field and like 21% from three since he's come back from his injury in April. Um, so he's clearly not 100%, and that's something the Suns can and need to capitalize on. But, you know, he was aware after the game, he said, like, basically, we're not going to win shit if I continue to play like this. So he knows the game two counterpunch that could be coming is Anthony Davis balling out and having a big night. So that is something the Suns will need to be aware of. It's something they'll need to prepare for. DeAndre Ayton did a fantastic job in game one. He's going to have to bring it even more in game two now because the Lakers are down in this series. Um, they need a bounce back game. They want to steal that home court advantage. Anthony Davis is fully aware he has to play better. So all the stars are aligning in that regard. The Suns need to be prepared for that kind of effort from him. Um, the, the Suns also need to shoot better from three. You know, we mentioned it before. They shot nine for 28, which is only 32%. Um, I think they were shooting around 37.6% or something like that on the season, that which was a top 10 mark in the NBA. So they need to shoot better from three. Lakers defense had something to do with that, but the Suns did miss quite a few open ones. Uh, so hopefully moving forward, that'll kind of skew more towards the territory that we're accustomed to seeing from them. Uh, and we mentioned this as, as well. Mikhail Bridges and campaign need to be better. Uh, I think Bridges was a little more nervous for his first playoff game than we were expecting. Um, and he even mentioned that seeing that many people in the arena for the first time, there were some nerves because it, it had been a while since any, the Suns had seen an arena that full before, but I think he'll be fine. I think he got some of those jitters out in game one. And uh, especially if the Lakers continue to trap Devin Booker the way that they did and, and let Mikhail Bridges you know, kind of beat them, I think he'll be able to capitalize on those opportunities. Um, and just in general, be let, be ready for that counterpunch from the Lakers because it's coming. But uh, in terms of what counterpunches might be coming from the Lakers, we should look at a couple of uh, adjustments for game two that, you know, the Lakers could be making. And we're going to do that after we take a quick break. We'll be right back after this. So in terms of Lakers counter punches, there are a couple of things that they could do. The obvious one, and I even tweeted about this in the game because, you know, some people were getting a little frustrated when Andre Drummond early on had a, a couple of sequences where he got offensive rebounds and putbacks. Um, but honestly, a couple of offensive rebounds and putbacks for Andre Drummond every game is okay for the Suns uh, because if he's not getting those, then Frank Vogel has literally no reason to continue playing him. 
Like Frank Vogel is good at making adjustments in the middle of playoff series. He's good at that game to game kind of strategy. Uh, and he has to be seeing what we're seeing in terms of like Andre Drummond, any minutes where he's on the floor, the Suns need to attack him and attack the Lakers defense because it's just not as good with him on the floor. It's just not as good with him and Anthony Davis on the floor, especially like the Lakers cheat code is going with Anthony Davis at the five. And the Suns have a perfect counter for that with DeAndre Ayton at the five because he's mobile enough to match up with AD. And that actually puts the Suns defense at less of a disadvantage with, you know, Jay Crowder on Anthony Davis and Mikhail Bridges on LeBron because there's the size advantage for AD and there's the strength advantage for LeBron in those matchups. But, you know, Drummond, Drummond is going to, he needs to get played off the floor in this series, but the Suns need to stagger it a little bit and not make it so obvious to where the Lakers only adjustment is to take him off the bench because every minute that Andre Drummond is on the floor is like a godsend for the Suns. Like he, he puts up numbers, but he's, he doesn't make an impact. So the Suns need to attack him for as long as he's on the floor, but maybe don't do it so ruthlessly. So it's so noticeable because the more that they can pick away at that advantage, the better, as we saw in game one, I'm actually kind of surprised that the Lakers didn't have that counterpunch ready midway through game one, because we saw this exact same thing when the Lakers played the Warriors in their play-in game, you know, the game completely turned when they took Andre Drummond out in the third quarter and played AD at the five for pretty much the rest of the game. They wound up winning that game and and completely turned it around. So I'm kind of surprised they didn't go to that in game one. Maybe it's because Anthony Davis um, was getting shut down by DeAndre Ayton, and maybe that's part of it. But it'll be interesting to keep an eye on that moving forward because game one, Drummond had 12 points, nine rebounds. He shot five for seven. All of those are okay numbers. He was a minus four overall, which isn't terrible. His team lost the game by nine. Um, but, you know, he's one of those guys who's going to get played off the floor. He's going to get exploited the more that the Suns are able to pick apart this matchup. So something to keep an eye on for the Lakers in game two is they might shy away from Andre Drummond minutes a little bit more. Uh, you know, Mark Gasol, Lakers fans have been crying out for Vogel to play Mark Gasol or to go back to him. And he truly is the better option at the five if you're going to go with a traditional big instead of just putting Anthony Davis at the five full time. Um, you know, Gasol provides more spacing. He provides more passing ability. He's just more of a threat on the perimeter in both of those ways. And he's a better defender too positionally than Andre Drummond is. So a much more stable option with Gasol at the five. We'll see if the Lakers go right into that to start game two or if they continue to be stubborn and stick with Drummond. Um, you know, I don't know who's like what favors the Lakers owe his agent, but it must be something incredible if they continue to play him at the five. Um, the other thing is the Lakers might need to send hard traps at Booker, and it didn't work well in game one. But if they send, you know, multiple bodies at Devin Booker and kind of force Chris Paul to shoot and let him shoot. I don't know if Chris Paul can shoot like, like we might see them try and test that early in the game because literally in game one, there were stretches where it looked like every shot was a labor. And there were a couple of instances, especially when he first came back in that first half where he looked hesitant to shoot. He had wide open threes um, and he didn't take it, which was a stark contrast from earlier in the game. Cause he just kind of 
came down after a rebound and pulled up for a three in transition and knocked it down. He was looking confident with his shot. And then all of a sudden the switch flipped and it was pretty obvious he was favoring that right shoulder. He didn't want to shoot too much. Um, so in game two, if that continues, if he's still, if that shoulder strength is not where it needs to be and he's hesitant to shoot, the Lakers are going to send hard traps at Booker. They're going to rotate around to make sure that the Suns' other perimeter shooters aren't open, and they're going to try and force Chris Paul to do it. Now, that's a ballsy move because Chris Paul is that much of a competitor where it might not even matter. He could start shooting left-handed, and maybe he'll still be competitive. Uh, But it is something to keep an eye on because his right arm did look dead. It looked numb after he came back. Uh, So hopefully the day off gives him some time to heal it up, and it's not something serious. It's just like a stinger or something. But if it's not, that is something to keep an eye on because they needed, they're going to need more out of Chris Paul than what they got in game one, especially if Booker's not able to continue to play, you know, drop 38 or 34, eight and seven on a nightly basis, which, you know, maybe he will, but that's unrealistic to expect that. So they're going to need more out of Chris Paul in that regard. Um, other adjustment, honestly, might just be Anthony Davis playing better. You know, we, we heard him say after the game that he knows he has to be better. Uh, he's fully aware of it. He's probably lined up for a big game, too, with all of that in mind, because, you know, as, as much as we were going to give DeAndre credit for the incredible job that he did on Anthony Davis, Monty even said uh, during uh, postgame interviews that Anthony Davis did miss a lot of shots. Like those guys did miss some shots that they would probably normally make. So that is something to keep an eye on. He did like the job that Aiton did and said he made things difficult on him and kept him in front. Didn't go for pump fakes, kept his stick hand up on shooters on the perimeter. So Aiton had Aiton played a great game and hopefully he'll continue to do that against uh, Anthony Davis. But you know, he, I don't think he's going to shoot five for 16 again, realistically in this series. Anthony Davis is just too good. He has NBA championship experience. He was incredible for the Lakers during their bubble run last year. And the longer this series goes on, the more time he has his to get his legs and his groove back. So uh, that is something to keep an eye on. And even if Anthony Davis continues to struggle like he has since returning in April, LeBron James only took 13 shots in game one. Uh, and game ones are typically a feel out game for LeBron. You know, we, we've seen it so many times, like despite the fact that he's lost six of his last nine game ones, he's also won four of his last five series in which he trailed in the series. So this is something for the Suns to watch out for because LeBron likes to feel out his opponent in game one and he didn't have a great game one. He only shot 13 times. And that's something that he might look to amend in game two. He might be more aggressive. I don't think his burst is back. I don't think he's 100% physically right now. Um, And it takes some time, especially with an ankle sprain, to kind of trust your body again, trust your athleticism when you roll an ankle like that. Um, Because it is scary taking off in full flight like you used to when you've rolled it and then rolled it again, like right before the playoffs. So, it is something to keep an eye on, but I don't think we've we've definitely not gotten LeBron James's best punch in this series. He could have something in store for game two. Um, it's good that the Suns were able to win this game, but the Lakers' two stars were bothered and did not play well. Bothered by the Suns' defense, bothered by their own rust a little bit. 
Uh, so the, that'll be something to keep an eye on in game two. If the Suns can keep that defensive pressure on, that'll bode well for them in this series uh, and in game two, obviously. Um, and that's also why Monty Williams is right to make sure that his team has this mentality about, you know, this only being one game, having the appropriate fear for two of the greatest players to ever do it. Um, going back to our quote of the week from earlier. So these are all things to keep an eye on moving into game two and moving ahead in this series. But I think that's a pretty, pretty, meh, not concise, but that's a pretty good wrap up of game one and what we saw in this first playoff outing. So I think that's going to do it for this episode of the Valley of the Suns podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. Please make sure to subscribe, tell your friends, write me a five-star review if you're enjoying this show. We don't have a G-rated segment this week because obviously playoffs are taking precedence here. Um, and Hopefully we'll be able to have our guest on for Thursday's show. But thank you so much, everyone, for listening. That's going to do it for this episode. This is Gerald Bourget signing off.